Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show, my weekly conversation with Andrew Malcolm, the prince of Twitter, <laughs> at A.H. Malcolm on the Twitters, as there he is right there, the regent of redstate.com, where he does a lot of great VIP work. And, and for uh, 15 years or so, close to, um, he and I have been doing this every week, yeah. uh, talking, about, talking about the media, talking about the news, talking about politics, talking about uh, football. Yeah. I was I was rather I was rather depressed yesterday when I realized that um, I couldn't root for both teams to lose in the NFC uh, playoff uh, NFC conference championship the Philadelphia Eagles and the yeah. San Francisco 49ers I was really rooting for both teams to lose and then somebody explained to me um, no one of those has to win one of them yeah there has to be a winner Ed <laughs> that's the way it works we could have a one sided Super Bowl. Or actually, I could take both guys from the AFC and have them play again. <laughs> well, you know, as it worked out yesterday, that kind of was the that was the dramatic game. But you know, that, yeah. that wasn't really the fault of the San Francisco 49ers. Their quarterback got injured on the sixth play, yeah. and, and their other quarterback got injured about a quarter later. And all they could do was hand the ball off after that. I kind of, you know, I am not a fan of the San Francisco 49ers, but I did kind of feel bad for them. Yeah, uh, after that they just, I mean. They were they were uh, snake bit this year. Yeah, they were scrappy. You know, they played a hell of a season despite you know going down to their third string quarterback for most of it. Um, and Brock Purdy was a great story, right? Yeah, he was Mister Irrelevant, uh, the last guy chosen in the NFL draft, and he ended up being, um, you know, a conference champion quarterback uh, for the 49ers. Yeah, uh, and and then to to. To have it, you know, it's one thing to lose. And I think that the Eagles were probably going to win that game anyway. But at least, you know, it would have been nice to see how he, you know, Purdy held up over that. Yeah, yeah. I feel, I felt really bad for, felt, felt bad for him. I felt bad for his team because they deserved it. They deserved at least a shot. And that, that whole second half, they had no shot at it. Everybody knew they had no shot at it. No, I didn't. I didn't watch that one. I'm a, I guess you call me a fan. I'd love to watch precision quarterbacks i just i just love it so i love to watch actually joe burrow is becoming one but uh i love to watch patrick mahomes and before that drew Brees and joe montana and even steve steve young sometimes but they they just i mean if you watch drew Brees and some of those things and he's looking over here and looking off the back and then the guy's wide open on the right i mean it's just it's like a surgeon uh, they get so good. Uh, I just enjoy watching that and the block and the blocking to let him do it. It's just, it's, um, it's fun to watch. Fun to watch. Absolutely fun to watch. Um, it's a lot more fun to watch than say CNN. I don't know if you saw this this morning <laughs> that they just had their worst reading week in nine years. Oh, uh, especially, especially, I guess the morning show. Um, and this has been all over the place, you know, you know, Chris light, who's coming in with the new team from discovery that bought up CNN as part of an acquisition, you know, overall acquisition of Warner brothers, I think it was, or Warner communications, or maybe Warner, maybe Warner discovery bought it from, I bought it from, um, AT&T and yeah. it was an acquisition. At any rate, they brought Chris light in and Chris light is saying, look, we, we don't like, what was it? We don't like partisan partisanship. <laughs> really? Yeah. really ever ever watch your, the morning show that you created with don lemon 
Um, and it's a good question because apparently very few people are watching the morning show. He created yeah. unlimited. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's utterly cratering. I mean, where does CNN go from here? I get the fact that you got to give this guy a little, a little rope, right? Because he's coming in, he's trying to do some, make some dramatic yeah. changes and that's going to, that's going to have some short-term negative impacts, but uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you're right. You have to give him some time and TV is, I mean, it's like turning a, an, an ocean liner. Yeah. It takes, it takes a long time for word to get out. Uh, CBS has been, has been uh, rejiggering its morning show um, since I was doing books back in the eighties. So, it, and it, and that's never taken. Um, well, I wish him luck because I don't think it's a bad thing to want to have if he could never get there. I don't know that he can with the woke young journalists that are populating the journalism world these days. But it'd be nice to have a, a at least a more straight TV news network um, that you could count on. Uh, you can't now, and it's um, it's frustrating, and I. I I feel for him because his his big paycheck is probably on the line. Uh, there was a lot of money involved in that in that transaction. Um, yeah. And then of course every time he gets on a, a conference call, somebody leaks that he was angry or whatever. You you can't can't do anything in private uh, with employees anymore. You have to have HR in there. It's just. It's it's such a woke mess. I was hoping that maybe we were coming. The pendulum was starting to swing back, but well, I mean, it might be. But you still have to make it compelling. I mean, it's yeah. No, I know absolutely, right. right? Absolutely. But the but the thing is, if if it's hard, it's hard to compare. Uh, it's like um, oh, I don't know what what would it be like. It's like if you do straight news, it. It's not bleeding, so it doesn't. It's not. It's not exciting as. Oh my God! Four more people shot in the nail salon, and it's it's hard once you've once you've had this sensational partisan, and you attract those crowds, and when they get the straight stuff, it's like, oh, I'm gonna go find partisan somewhere else. So I'm not sure you can. It's like plugging one hole on a boat. Remember that wonderful cartoon? Uh, I always think it applies to the GOP with the big lifeboat that's sinking and the two guys sitting up on the top who are not helping bailing. And he says, I'm sure glad the hole isn't at our end. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that one, but I mean, that's, that's great. I love that. <laughs> uh, sir, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, so that's, you know, obviously that's in the news, that's media. So we, we like to cover that. Yeah. I, I want to talk about something that happened today. In fact, it just happened a little while ago, maybe a couple hours ago. Um, a jury acquitted a pro-life activist um, from uh, federal charges. Uh, it's called the FACE Act, which basically protects, it's supposed to protect abortion clinics and pro-life clinics equally. Um, Mark Houck was um, rather notoriously arrested uh, in a 30 agent raid by the FBI, 30 agents, right? Um, 
raided his house and conducted a fel- you know a, a, a felony arrest at gunpoint over an argument that had taken place on a sidewalk outside an abortion clinic. This was such a minor incident that local prosecutors just refused to even to even take up the case. It was an argument that was basically between a pro-life activist and a pro-abortion activist um, that that got personal and nasty and um, and started to be directed at Hauk's son. His 13-year-old son had, was there, um, you know, protesting the clinic um, with him. And, uh, you know, the 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 matter had come up in, in local in local law enforcement and they declined to prosecute it. And for some reason, the Department of Justice decided that they really needed to take this thing up and they sent 30 agents out there to conduct this felony arrest in front of the guy's terrified children and wife. Um, and it went to the prosecutors today and uh, a jury a jury came back and acquitted him. And it was really interesting because actually the jury went out on Friday and came back, or last week anyway, came back deadlocked as of late Friday evening, right? So apparently though, they came back into court, I think in the early afternoon in you know Pennsylvania time, or maybe just before noon, and they replaced one of the jurors. Oh. And as soon as, almost as soon as they replaced one of the jurors, they sent the jury back in to deliberate with one of the alternates. <laughs> And less than an hour later, they came out with an acquittal. So I'm kind of curious as to why this jury was not. Um, but I suspect it's because the, the one juror just was was just simply not going to cooperate and wanted to convict the guy regardless. And the rest of the jurors finally got sick of it and went yeah. back to the judge. Now, nobody's explaining that yet. But I had seen this pop up. Actually, I didn't see it pop up until the verdict was announced. I went back. As soon as the verdict was announced, I was checking to see if there was any corroboration from any of the media sources. And at that moment, there wasn't, but Catholic News Agency had just 45 minutes prior to that published the story about how the juror got replaced oh. in the trial. Fascinating stuff, Andrew. I, that's hard. To, I didn't know you could do that. That, that yeah, I mean, seem really legal. Oh, no. I mean, it's a, it's definitely a process. You know, if there's some... If there's some impediment with the juror that didn't get discovered in voir dire before the verdict is read yeah but it has to be something other than he he wants to have a different verdict i mean right it depends though on why right so if this guy had told the other jurors i don't give a shit excuse me pg-13 um i'm going to convict this guy no matter what because i think that you know because i am you know completely supportive of abortion and i want to make this guy pay if he had actually voiced something like that, the other jurors can yeah. go and say, look, this guy isn't even deliberating based on the law. He's biased. And he did yeah. this, this bias in Bardeer. Um, then the judge can act to do that. Yeah. What, what he could do is he'd kick everybody out of the courtroom, bring the jurors in one at a time to discuss what was going on with both attorneys present, prosecution and defense, and then make a determination on that. And of course, the the attorneys for both sides could could argue over that. Um, if, if this resulted in conviction, obviously that would be something a defense would bring up on appeal. But I think with an acquittal, I mean, yeah. speaking, prosecutors can appeal a, a an acquittal. <laughs> I don't think they're going to get very far uh, yeah. in doing that. Um, it's really, I mean, this is an embarrassment for the Department of Justice. They no, they don't they don't yeah they don't seem susceptible to embarrassment. 
Uh, they just don't. Uh, it, it's part of the toxic corrosion that we have at this point, uh, especially with the FBI. Oh, my gosh. You know, with Russiagate and and uh, all the emails that they were they had to have an insurance policy to get rid of Trump. And geez. Yeah, the um, the, you know, and this is a reason why I think the Republicans have stumbled onto it. Well, I don't want to say stumbled onto. They've come up with a brilliant strategy, which is to um, create this select committee on the weaponization of federal law enforcement. Um, and and they're going to pursue this. And I think this case is actually going to be yeah. you know, exhibit A, because this is clear. I mean, this was so clearly, you know, a ridiculous um, approach to this. You don't send 30 FBI agents out to raid a guy who got into an argument on a sidewalk. I don't give a damn whether or not that's covered by, you know, a federal statute or not. There's nothing that suggested that this guy was some sort of, you know, uh, psychotic killer that was going to open fire if two agents yeah. came to the door with a, with an arrest warrant and knocked on the door. I, I mean, and the fact that he, I'm not sure I would do this, but take my son to a demonstration. Well, I, I know people who do that. Um, I know it's part of, it's part of, yeah. If you're indoctrinating them and in how you believe, I just, it's I mean, honestly, it's, it's, it's at every single one of these things now and both yeah. sides. They have the kids hold up the signs and everybody goes, oh, look how wise this uh, yeah, child is. I know. I know. It's, all, it's, all about, it's all about appearances. You know, it's, you know, it's not about the argument. It's about the, it's about the meme. <laughs> That's right. No, I'm you're absolutely was, right. I'm not saying that was Hauk's motivation. But what I'm saying is that no matter who's protesting, they usually bring kids <laughs> with them in order to, in order to make it look like this is a real family friendly sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. but, um, but yeah, I mean, this is certainly within his rights to bring his son with him. Um, and uh, I mean, the but it's an indicate it's an indication that he didn't have any intention of being violent. Well, yes. Right. I mean, you're not going to bring your kid with you. If you're going to be violent. And I mean, this is, this was a, usually if you're talking about self-defense, right. Whether or not you're going to use lethal, lethal force in self-defense, if you're talking about any kind of self-defense. You have to demonstrate that you didn't initiate and did not participate in what preceded the, you know, the use of some level of force in self-defense. Otherwise, it's just a fight, right? <laughs> and both sides and both sides are culpable for it. Um, I, I, it's just a fight. <laughs> How do you really feel, Ed? Yeah. I, you know, I, well, let me. I, I'd say that, but you know, I, I do have a PG thirteen limit. I, let me tell you how I real, really feel about this. Um, yeah, yeah. Ed Morrissey goes blue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. The book says going red. It does say going red. It does say. I'm thinking in terms of the old comedy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you know, no, I know. One of one of my earliest comedy album experiences was Red Fox. And I think oh. it was actually called Red Fox Goes Blue <laughs> because, you know, I'd seen him on Sanford and Son, you know, he's sort yeah, of, yeah. you know, grand. Oh, I know those shows. It's just I went I did the same thing. We went to see uh, that Brad, um, the big guy that was on um, Everyone Loves Raymond. Oh, Brad Garrett. Yeah. Brad yeah. Garrett. He, I saw him in Las Vegas and he was hilarious. 
in front of all the governors. But geez, I went to his show. And, oh my God. It was like we were looking at each other like, oh yeah. You know who else was like that was Bob Saget. <laughs> yeah. People would go to Bob Saget's comedy shows expecting to see, you know, uh, Sinbad, right? Based on the right. fact that he's, he's been on this family, very family friendly, full house, right? The late Bob Saget, he passed away not long ago. And, uh, but, uh, but yeah, he was, he was very much an R-rated performer on stage and people would be shocked by it. Yeah. <laughs> like he was playing on television <laughs> in a family show. What do you expect? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean. So, yeah, if I was to tell you how I really feel about this, I'd have to I'd have to do a red fox goes blue sort of. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we could probably live without that. I think so. I'm not as talented as red foxes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but I mean, this is this is right up that right up that lane, I think, of the weaponization of federal law enforcement. And there's no other way to explain sending 30 FBI agents out to arrest this. Guy. No, no. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's a over a, over an argument on a sidewalk, which, you know, a verbal altercation on a sidewalk. You send if we can if, if you have to send 30 agents out on something like that, then we have 30 agents too many at the FBI. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and 80,000 too many at the IRS. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So another thing they're going to be pursuing there. All right. Before we get too much farther into this, because I think I've eaten up, you know, at least half of the thing, we got to get to stuff that you've written over at redstate.com because oh, there's okay. a couple of there's a couple of great um, new uh, posts over there. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your Malcolm on the right. An ominous twist emerges from within Trump's one once loyal base because there's actually been a couple of ominous twists, and some of them are just from like the last twenty four hours. What what was it that you were focusing on in this episode? Well, uh, the ability of Trump, a Fifth Avenue billionaire, to tap into the anger and frustration of the heartland, which I know intimately, uh, and to voice it, uh, earned him apparently undying loyalty from, from a base. And one of the important, most important and most sturdy pillars of that base were the evangelicals. Um, it might seem funny that a guy in three marriages and, and, um, perhaps some other arrangements, uh, what got the loyalty of the, um, evangelical Christians, uh, but he delivered on their issues, uh, religious freedom and abortion. And he worked at it. Unlike most politicians, Trump, um, was very, uh, what's the word? Very um, attentive to the promises he made uh, in 2015 and 16. And you can go down a long list of crushing ISIS, rebuilding the military, tax cuts, deregulation, uh, religious freedom. Um, and I remember that wonderful line that he said during the fight over the border, Americans are dreamers too. And I... Um, I, I that's what a lot of people still like about Trump was it were his policies, not his behavior personally, but um, and, but the evangelicals stuck with him. Now, however, there are signs that um, they may be drifting away. And I part of it, large part of it, I think, has to do with Trump. 
Um, first of all, he's complaining publicly about it, which try to embarrass your base uh, to support yeah. you. It may not be the smartest thing to do, um, but they they appear some of the leaders are not endorsing yet. Now, if Trump ends up being the nominee, they may very well endorse. But at the moment, they're waiting to see if there's an alternative. I think in large part because Trump is still focused on 2020. Mm -hmm. um, he's still acting a little strange. He's is what three three months three months now into his campaign, and he just had his first event um, last weekend. Um, now there's plenty of time, but it's indicative of perhaps a lack of enthusiasm or interest. I've argued early on that he could become, and maybe we talked about this once, but that he could become a real kingmaker. If he said, uh, you know, he'll be 78 going up against an 82-year-old. 78 was the age that Biden was when he was elected as the oldest president ever. And then he'll have a potential rival in, say, Ron DeSantis, who's 44, Pompeo, Nikki Haley, all those people in their 50s. Mike Pence, I think, is the oldest potential rival at 60. Um, he could say, uh, you know, um, I got done almost everything I wanted to get done. And uh, it's time for uh, for some new blood and younger and and become a kingmaker. And whoever whomever he endorses, hand his base off to them. I, I don't think he'd, he'd ever do that. Uh, doesn't seem to fit with his personality, but uh, he could he could do that. So we're going to have a primary when he may very well win the primary if there are an awful lot of um, other candidates who divvy up the non-Trump. I didn't say anti, but the non-Trump vote. Yep. And uh, he could get a plurality as he did before in a field of 17. I don't think there'll be 17 this time, but there will be a, a fair number. Uh, and um, so, you know, it'll be an interesting, fascinating time. But I wanted to write about uh, these beginning signs. I'm not necessarily cheering for it, but uh, the beginning signs of some some crumbling on the uh, if this was a horror movie, you'd see cracks coming in the pillars. Nothing yet, but <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, you'd hear some groaning in the in the in the foundation. So there's also more groaning going on here too, because over the last 24 hours, uh, Donald Trump has taken to his uh, true social platform to go on the attack against Ron DeSantis. And look, I mean, that's what primaries are for. You're going to go after each other on on different things. But the 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 basis of this attack is pretty strange, right? He's going after. Ron DeSantis for locking Florida down. Um, when Ron DeSantis actually ended the lockdowns a lot faster than Donald Trump wanted them, <laughs> wanted them undone. He and Brian Kemp both decided to rescind the shutdowns in Florida and rescind the the state-based mass mandate. Some of the localities still had them. Um, I think it was in June of 2020 and Trump was very unhappy about that. He wanted, he wanted, uh, he was still praising Anthony Fauci at the time recall uh, and wanted the uh, wanted Republican governors to stick with his administration's approach to that. Now, obviously Trump's 
administration. Uh, they changed approaches later on, but DeSantis camp and Greg Abbott here in Texas changed it much earlier than Trump wanted. And he yeah. was not happy about that because it tended to show him up a little bit. Yeah. So now to have Trump go after DeSantis because DeSantis locked people down and DeSantis was cheering on the vaccines that Trump was cheering up until about five minutes ago. I mean, yeah, I, I guess that I guess that people, some of the, you know, really the hardiest of the, uh, you know, loyal, uh, the loyalist core might stick with them on that. I'm already seeing people trying to tweet this stuff out, but most of uh, most of the rest of the people, including a lot of MAGA folks are going, well, wait a minute, it's just yeah. simply not true. It's, yeah. it's actually a lie. And, uh, and, and Donald Trump is, is, you know, trying to gaslight people. This, the, that, Gaslighting being the, the you know the word word of the of our time. Yeah. Well, it's a sign of in on one level, it's a sign of um, desperation. Um, and he sees the uh, Trump sees the Santas coming, and the Santas has been pretty smart all along, doing nothing but praising Trump as his mentor. Uh, and he's got a legislative session going on, so he's smart to stay focused on the state issues, which is what he just got reelected big time for, 19 points. Um, and uh, that'll run through until late spring. And then we'll see what he does. Uh, he, uh, he hasn't announced, um, he's given inklings, there is an independent PAC that has bought ads for him in Iowa already. Um, but and I think everyone thinks since he's the closest in some cases in some polls he's right up there with Trump in terms of Republican preference. Um, I don't know. Talking about the past is what Trump does and can get angry about it and feels he can rouse people on. But talking about the past is not what you do when you want to get elected in the future. And um, if uh, DeSantis comes out all respectful, he's got to fire back at some point. But if he comes out all respectful for Trump and all the many things he's accomplished, and now we want to take that and and run with it, um, yeah, who's best to carry the who's best to carry it forward? From who's this best point? to carry it on? I'm 44, and he'll be 78. I mean, it's. Um, yeah, there will be a scrap, and it might very well be ugly, but there's so much that Trump could use against Biden that he's already going against DeSantis is um, kind of a, a tell. Yeah, it's a tell. It's a tell. It's a tell. Yeah. yeah. So the other part of this, by the way, and I, I actually forgot to mention this to you, is that, you know, I reacted to a Washington Post story on Saturday morning, right? And the Washington Post story says, you know, based on several sources, blah, 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 you know, uh, DeSantis is already hiring, uh, already working yeah. to hire people to expand their campaign and to and to start moving forward in presidential campaign. So I yeah. write about this and I write about the various different things. I don't know if you saw this. Yeah, yeah. So after after I was tweeting about this, I got a I got a, I got pinged by somebody I, I know pretty, you know, I, I want to say I know him pretty well, but I. I've interacted with this guy for years. I know he's well-connected. I know he's got his own sources. <laughs> he says, um, you know, that, that Washington Post story is nonsense. He says, nobody's doing that. He says, I don't know who their sources are, but it's nobody in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> he says, 
I, I, he says, I know people in there and they are telling everybody in Florida the same thing. We're not hiring anybody because we're not focusing on that yet because we don't have to. Um, right. So, um, so his take on this was that you had some anonymous sources that wanted to sort of push the mm -hmm. idea that DeSantis was just an opportunist and, you know, the, the, the gubernatorial election was a pretense. He says, I'm not sure if that's the motivation, but I think that that's what's kind of going on here. And he says, if, if you want to, if you want to know what's happening in, in DeSantis world, look to Florida's reporters. Don't look to the Washington post. Right. Exactly. Exactly. The Washington post. Was, uh, good lesson. Good lesson. I mean, it was a friendly lesson, but it was a good lesson. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the fact, I'm sure that, that the I think you were right in one sense that, that the Santa's people have to be thinking about it. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah. uh, and they have to be lining up and talking to donors and saying, you know, I'm, it's a long way from decision, but if I do jump in, are you interested in so on? I mean, they have to do that because these things take, take forever to organize. They are, I worked on one. It's incredibly complex. I can't describe how complex these things are. We only see the surface like an iceberg. So um, the Washington Post, which is in serious trouble, they lost money for the first time after many years of profits. Jeff Bezos uh, bought them, I don't think, to make money. He doesn't need much, but um, he saved their butt with, uh, what is it, $200 million, I think he bought the paper for this. And they were doing okay, but they've been focused narrowly on tech improvements and so on, which are great. But they had they had three million, three million online digital subscribers, three million subscribers, and they've lost over five hundred thousand of them in the last year. I'm one of them, uh, right? Because because they're so well biased. Everybody's biased, but they're so slanted. Uh, they were the ones that kept this daily tally on Trump lies and mystery and untruths that uh, was up into the many thousands. Uh, and they couldn't find any to nail, to keep track of daily like that uh, with Biden or even Obama. The 37 times he promised you can keep your doctor and insurance plan if you want. Um, so they're slanted and the publisher, there was a pace, where was it? Um, uh, I think it was in the Atlantic. Oh no, it was in the New Yorker. The New Yorker had a piece, uh, recently about the troubles within the Washington post. And a lot of it apparently centers on the publisher who's not all that forward thinking and doesn't have the best relations with, uh, with the staff. A lot of people have left there, quality people uh management types and obviously a lot of subscribers so they're losing money and um doesn't look like they know what to do about it but one of the things i think is yeah. that they they uh i mean the new york times is making a lot of money by offering a lot of things i'm not saying that you shouldn't be putting out recipes and games and the word game that you play and and all of that i'm just saying that uh it's got to be part of a package and the Washington Post hasn't done that strategic package. Yeah, you know, um, look, I mean, I subscribe to the Washington Post because just because I, I kind of need it for my, you know, for the business. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I don't think I've ever seriously considered cutting it off. 
but what I would say is I'm not necessarily sure why anybody is finding it attractive just for the sake of keeping up with the news because so much of what they do is really narrative building and yeah, narrative. Yeah, building. yeah, yeah. absolutely. Now they have an ad online now that I saw over the weekend that uh, a free subscription for a month. And well, then it's uh, and then it's then it's then it's four dollars a week. Um, now a, a yeah. lot of those places have have subscription deals, and if you ask, they will continue the special incentives even after the first year or first few months. But the Washington Post, I've never seen a newspaper saying free. No, no, I I've never seen that either. I, I do want to at least briefly touch on the. Um, uh, inside story of Joe Biden says sudden oh, decision yeah. tanks to the Ukraine. It's actually t the topic of um, uh, our uh, the latest amiable skeptics uh, discussion I've had with um, Adam Baldwin. Yeah, those are those are fun things. Oh, I'm I'm glad you enjoy them. I I look, I've known Adam for years, right? And um, and uh, he's a he's a really smart guy. Adam and, Baldwin. Yeah. Adam Baldwin and. Um, I've always wanted to be able to pick his brain and do stuff like this. And uh, so, you know, it's, it is a real treat for me to, yeah. to be with Adam. Adam is just, he is such a cool guy, really good friend, just such a cool guy. Um, but we actually disagreed a little bit in this one, which made it even more interesting. Uh, and we both really enjoyed it. Um, I'm curious to see what your take is on this, because I, I, I kind of see this as basically us putting in an ante to get Germany to actually yeah. send tanks there and not really much more than that. And, you know, 34 tanks is really, it's not much <laughs> just isn't no. in the no. grand scheme of things. So uh, what, what's your take on this? Well, I think you're absolutely right. It, um, it 31 tanks happens to be the size of a traditional Ukrainian tank battalion. And um, uh, so that number makes sense. And if you add in the tanks that Poland and Germany and others are doing, we're getting up close to 100, which won't be enough to win the war maybe, but it'll be enough to make a, a significant impact. Um, my take in brief was, this is Biden again doing something for appearances sake. Germany said, we're not gonna send any, or we're not gonna allow anybody, and we're not going to send any of our leopard tanks Leopard 2 tanks um, to Ukraine, unless the U.S. does. Now, he's he's a was a college Marxist who's now a social Democrat, and he's worried about retribution from Putin. But Putin's already cut off the gas, so I'm not quite sure what he's worried about. But um, he wanted some cover, and Biden gave him cover. Now, they're not sending existing tanks. They have to make these puppies. 67 ton armored tank with 120 millimeter cannon and two machine guns and all the tech that's in them um you you don't just make that overnight like like a new ford uh and those those things are going to take a while so it'll be a year they can train uh ukrainians on existing u.s tanks which they're going to do uh, but they have to remove the, I guess there's some kind of special secret armor uh, in these Abrams that they're not going to have going on anybody else's battlefield. Um, so we're talking at least a year if Ukraine lasts that long before the Abrams get there. Now, 
the leopards are already in and the challengers are already in Europe. Uh, so they can get there much quicker and they can be trained. Uh, the crews can be trained to work them much sooner. Um, and they're more, uh, I mean, the Abrams is a monster. It's basically, um, you know, it, it, it's the best, it will be the best thing on any battlefield uh, these days because it's been constantly updated since 1980. Um, the Leopards are good and so are the Challengers and those will be actually used, can be used sooner and they're more, more um, what's the word, not adaptable, but uh, they fit better uh, in the Ukrainian theater. Um, uh, so it, it's Biden freeing up the German tanks and saying, well, yes, of course, we're going to send them right. in a year, in a year, maybe if we still have to. Right. Yeah. I actually don't mind that. I mean, I don't think that that's a bad decision. And no. I think that Biden has done a passably competent job of handling Ukraine since the invasion, yeah. uh, maybe even just before it. Um, I don't know that I've agreed with everything he's done, but I, you know the general thrust of what he's done has been, I think, fairly well considered. And yeah. it's maybe the only aspect of his presidency that he's managed to get right, in my guess, is because the, the choices are so kind of blindingly obvious, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, so, but I do know that there's a lot of angst over this about the idea that we're going to get pulled into a larger fight. And I don't think that that's a, I, I don't, those concerns are unfounded either. Well, and, I, okay, but here's the thing. The next target would be Poland. Okay, that's Baltic, NATO. Or the Baltic states, or the Baltic states. Or the Baltic time. states. Yep. All of them are in NATO. So yep. we won't have a choice about whether we help them or whether we send troops to get bloodied uh, in those wars if it's NATO. Now, if you beat Putin now in Ukraine, which is not in NATO, he's not going to go again. He's not going to he's not going to be able. Austin, the secretary of defense, said up front last spring, uh, what we're in for is to deplete the Russian military uh, so we can't do these things again. I'm all for that because none of our guys and gals are, are getting shot at, wounded. Now, I'm sure we have intelligence people on the ground. I know we we brought some Russian tanks back to Michigan to read. Let's, let's not forget the trainers, right? Trainers, yeah, that, that we've brought that we brought some Russian tanks back to Michigan to the tank facility to uh, reverse engineer and find out what their weaknesses and strengths are. Uh, I mean that's that's fine, um, but geez, if 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 you got a country which is all in like Ukraine, it has it's its own independence. Remember, France helped us in our independence war, um, and we would still be a British colony without it. Um, and so I think Bob, on moral grounds, we're obligated, but on strategic grounds, it's the smartest thing to do. If if we've sent what twenty eight billion um, in in military aid so far, um, that is a fraction of what it would cost if we were in a real war. 
Okay, so we're giving the tools to the Ukrainians to deplete the Russian military, which has its own built-in problems already. Robert Gates, a former defense secretary and CIA head whom I just admire, no end, was on TV this weekend, and he said the only objection that I, that I would have, that he would have, is that uh, Biden has done us so piecemeal. So yeah. instead of going all in from early on, uh, and being able to just throw the Russians out, it's piecemeal. And what it's created, which is better than losing, is a, is a stalemate. Now, it's a stalemate in winter, which is often a stalemate time. Now, we'll see what happens in the spring when they get these tanks and, uh, uh, and the Russians get what Putin says they're going to get 300,000 more people. I, I doubt that. Uh, the the convicts that the Wagner group have been uh, recruiting are now going, ah, you know, maybe I'll, I won't re-enlist after my six-month enlistment. And the ones in the prisons are going, yeah, prison's better than getting killed on the battlefield because they just throw them in. It's cannon fodder. They don't, they don't care. Russians don't care. They didn't care in World War II. Um, and they don't care now about human life. Right. right. Yeah. Well, well, I think we've I think we've come to the end of this week's uh, podcast episode. Well, we've chewed over a lot, Edward. We did. We this was a very productive podcast, but we are not quite done because we still don't have the jokes of the week. Yeah, uh, I got a few. They're all old, of course. So um, Biden uh, was at the annual Thanksgiving. This is actually last November. Where he's pardoning the turkeys. That's I don't right. I don't get that, but at any rate. So he says to the turkey guy, so how many how many turkeys are you raising? And uh, the rancher said the uh, Circle S ranch grows about nine and a half million turkeys a year. And Biden says, God love you, nine and a half million turkeys. I tell you what, that's like some of the countries I've been to. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I forgot where, but he just came back from somewhere at the yeah, time. I forget where that was at. Yeah. Yeah. I said, well, oh, okay. Um, and uh, so anyway, I love that. I put that on my list of uh, Bidenisms. Um, so Jimmy Fallon said that before proposing, Prince Harry asked Meghan's father for permission to marry her. Her dad was hesitant because he'd hoped she'd meet someone with a job. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see here. So uh, David Letterman's obviously a really old one. He said, in these days, you know you're having a bad day when your body scan at the airport gets the guards laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Like you, <laughs> I'm just, I am just imagining it. So yes, that's uh yeah, yeah, that's, exactly. exactly. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. All right. I got, I got one for you. And I, okay. I, 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 this is a meme that I saw and I'm kind of sharing this with, with everybody just because, well, you'll get it in just a second. There's, you know what the Dallas Cowboys logo is, right? It's a star, right? Big star, right? Um, Cause they're from the Lone Star State. So it's one star. And the meme is above it, it's, it's a logo, and above it, it says, not just a logo, and underneath it says, it's also a rating. 
is a tough crowd here in Texas. Let me uh, tell you. It sure oh. is. It sure is. It sure I, is. Oh, hell, we're here oh. all week. All right. Well, that's it for this week's uh, Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Don't forget, you should be following Andrew Malcolm, the prince of Twitter, at A.H. Malcolm on Twitter. He is also the regent of redstate.com. Go to redstate.com and find all of the stuff that he's writing over there. But just basically hang out on Twitter and you're going to run across Andrew all the time. He's, yeah. uh, he's prolific. So, Andrew, until next week, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Ed. Thanks, everybody. See you then. All right, stay tuned for one last message from the Ed Morrissey Show coming up right now. Now that the political infighting is over and the sausage is being made in the House, it's time for Republicans to unite with one cause and fight back against Joe Biden and his radical administration. The GOP has promised to investigate Biden family corruption, the border, big tech censorship collusion, the origins of COVID, the FBI, and intel agencies' attacks on the American people and more, and it's time to hold them to those promises. Here at Hot Air, we won't let up on holding them accountable. We unapologetically fight back against the radical left and squishy rhinos in Congress who fail the people. We bring you the truth and go to war against Biden's woke communist agenda. But we need your help. By becoming a VIP for uh, hotair.com, you can help us in this battle for our country. Just look at the House Democrats leader, Hakeem Jeffries. He's another divisive, radical leftist, and his communist Sesame Street speech proves it. If Republicans don't halt the Biden agenda and conservative media fails to hold them accountable, it could mean the end of our great country. Join us in the fight. Become a Hot Air VIP member or a VIP Gold member today and use the promo code SAVEAMERICA to receive a 40% discount on your membership. Stand with us and fight to save America. We will never give up. And thank you very much.